0: So we are going to be in the book of Joshua, I know that's a shocker, Um, we're in Joshua chapter 10, guys we are almost to the halfway point, there's 14 chapters, praise God. So, um, this is our 71st message in the book of Joshua, praise God. But, uh, I'm going to do a little bit of review of last week, our our 70th message, which was titled, From Death to Life. And what was happening was we were working our way through Joshua chapter 9, verses 21 through 27. As we closed out Joshua chapter 9, we saw there was something pretty remarkable in that. We saw, as we walked through this account, we witnessed a group of non-Jews, literally, being who were slated for death, by the way, and who came to God by way of their sin, We saw them not only accepted into the fold of the children of God, but not only were they accepted, but they were actually made servants of the Most High God. So these people that were slated for death, who should have been destroyed, were literally given this amazing gift. And what we saw in their story was really a remarkable mirror of what our story is. People that were uh, not of the family of God. Listen, we're, we're not Jews. The, the God of Israel, the God of Jacob, the God of the Gentile, or the God of the, of the Jewish world, guess what he did? He made a provision to bring people that were non-Jews, the Gentile world, which is who we are. Anyone who's not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And God made a way, a provision for us who are on our way to, to death, on our way to destruction, to be saved from that destruction and receive a new identity, which is just remarkable. But what we saw was the fact that the first thing was that they had mercy displayed They had mercy displayed, and guess what? So did we. We both received mercy. Mercy means to withhold a punishment that is deserved. We all have a punishment that we deserve, and guess what? God withheld it. And at the same time, simultaneously, we also received grace. Grace is to give something that's undeserved. And God gave us this new identity that we did not earn, we did not deserve, but we received. And what happened as God extended mercy and graced us, what happened was our sin was revealed to us, and we saw it for what it was. It was an offense against God. And what happens as a result of seeing our sin and understanding its offense against God is it humbles us. It changes our perspective. It shifts us out of a place of pride and it brings us to a contrite and a repentant heart. And what's beautiful about that is it brings us also to a place of submission. Submission to the authority of God, where we learn how to completely submit ourselves to the words, to the promises of God. When we looked in these Gibeonites, these Hivite people, what we saw was they were putting their full faith in the words of Joshua. Joshua chapter 9, verse 23, he said this, And there shall none of you be freed from being bondmen and hewers of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. So here are these people who were destined for death, death and destined for destruction, slated for death, God literally was saving them from that and giving this new identity to them. And what Joshua was giving them was a promise they could hold on to. And guess what? Joshua just happens to be a biblical type or a picture Of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Hebrew spelling of Joshua just happens to mean Jesus. Guess what? This is what Jesus, what did Jesus say to us? What do we hear through his word? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Doesn't say might be saved, doesn't say could be saved. There's no conditions attached to it. It's a promise from God as if written in stone. And what happens? Because we put our faith in these promises, there's an attitude of surrender. There's an attitude of submission, of faith to trust God. And a pagan people who were destined to die become servants of the Lord. How awesome. We saw God change their story. And guess what? He changed our story. Our story should have been much, much different, but by the grace of God. And if that's your story, praise the Lord, man. Live for His glory. But recognize the fact that, listen, understand as as we've been studying through this book of Joshua... What we've definitely noticed is in the chess game of life, every time God, every time God makes a move, guess who makes a counter move? Yeah. Yes. So every time you're trying to take a positive step in life, oh, this is, this is where I'm supposed to be. Boom, the devil's like, oh, no, 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 no. We can't allow that. <laughs> Let's get the opposition in place. We need to stop this person dead in their tracks. That's always going to be the case. That's st- a pattern throughout the entire history of humanity. And so we know that reality. So what we see is because of that reality that we understand as we're moving forward and as we see this, we've received this new identity in Christ. And listen, the devil does nothing more than want to stop us. We see their new identity, these Gibeonites, what happens to them? These people have now come to God. And what's going to happen is they're going to face opposition, not just from the enemy, but from their previous friends, their old allies. And our message this morning is titled, From Peace to Persecution. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the love you have for humanity. Uh, God, we are undeserving of it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to be in your house today and Lord, to hear your word. Uh, God, I've prayed uh, diligently. I've studied and Lord, I've prayed and I've asked you God to speak to me and speak through me. And Lord, I pray that you, you have spoken to me. Lord, I'm asking now that I would just get out of the way uh, Lord, that you would speak through me. Uh, Lord, that the words we would hear today would be the ones that you would uh, you would be okay with. These are the ones that you signed off on, Lord. Anything that's of, that's of David, Lord, I pray that you would just throw it in the trash. It has no value. Uh, God, speak to us. Speak to me. If no one else has ears to hear, let me have ears to hear, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Joshua 10, verses 1 through 4. It says, Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, I'm just guessing that's how you say that, if we were neighbors and I said, it, he'd probably be like, that's not how you say my name. But anyway, um, king of Jerusalem had heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it as he had done to Jericho and her king. And so he had done to Ai and her king and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them that they greatly feared because Gibeon was a great city as one of the royal cities and because it was greater than Ai and all the men thereof were mighty. Wherefore, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent unto Hoham, king of Hebron. And to Piram, uh, king of Jarmuth, and unto Japhia, king of Lashish, and unto Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up unto me and help me that we may smite Gibeon, for it hath made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. And so what we see here is this in this account is they're going to see that it's focused on the city of Gibeon. I know last week we were talking about the the Hivites and the Canaanites. We were talking about the four cities. But the reason why it's focused here is because Gibeon was the biggest city by far. This was a, a royal city. And so what happens, we see here the Gibeonites' previous allies are responding to the conversion of this great city. This is why they're responding. They saw that this Gibeonite city had shifted its alignment. From being in lockstep with its brothers to aligning itself with the will of God. The willingness to actually serve the one true God. And so, what we're going to look at today is this in this account is the fact that how a testimony of walking with God alerts old allies, alienates old allies, and angers old allies. Now, I know that all those sound negative and ultimately they are, but I want you to bear with me as we kind of walk through this, because what we're going to do is we're going to compare kind of how, what they're dealing with, with what we dealt with when we came to Christ. Okay? So bear with me. I'll do my best to reflect that. So first, let's pay attention to the fact that our testimony of walking with God alerts old allies. Verse number one says, "Now it came to pass when Abimelech, king of Jerusalem, had heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, and had taken to Jer- had, had done unto Jericho and unto her king, and so he had done unto Ai and her king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel, and were among them. Now we know that this Canaanite king and his brothers, listen, they were already freaked out by the presence." Of the Israelites. They were already on edge. They were already freaked out. Joshua chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 tell us this. It says, And it came to pass when all the inhabitants which were on this side Jordan in the hills, this is everyone in Canaan, in the valleys and in all the coasts and of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite, when they heard thereof, that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel, notice this, with one accord. So we see the Gibeonites, before their conversion, they were in lockstep. They were exactly in mindset. They were in one accord with the rest of the Canaanites. They were against God. That verse, verse 2, said that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. And listen, if you're a born-again child of God, listen. Today, if that's you, there was a time when you were not saved. There was a time when you were saved. Just like I was, right? And what happened during that time in our life was we were at one accord with this world. The world said what was right, and we look like, sounds good to me. Uh, What should you do? Hey, you know what? Go do this, that, and the other. That's what what young people do. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm just going to do whatever. Listen, I grew up in a totally secular world. That's all I knew. So we understand this mindset. We were in one accord. And what we find is, in fact, we were actively hostile against God. Notice this in Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3. It says this. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. This is who we were. Wherein? In times past you walked according to the course of this world. Our life was set on the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. A lost person is a child of disobedience. This verse displays the spiritual hostility that we carried. It says, notice this, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That is Satan. That is God's enemy. And he leads the world, this lost world, to guess what? Hate God. Listen to what we have here. Listen to what Jesus says about the world in John 7, 7. He says, the world cannot hate you. And I want you to understand what he's saying there is, the world doesn't hate you for who you are. Okay? The world hates us for who we are, who we represent. But listen to what he says about him. But me, it hateth. The world, me, it hateth. Because I testify it, testify of it that the works thereof are evil. God says, look, my very presence, what I'm doing is I'm calling sin what it is. It's wicked. It's evil. Right? And I don't know about you, but I don't know that I like to hear that I was wicked and evil prior to salvation. (laughs) No way. I'm like, don't you judge me, man. Right? That's the attitude the world has. Who do you think you are? That's the only verse that a lot of people know Judge not, lest ye be judged. (laughs) Right? You hear that all day long. But what happens is nobody likes to hear that stuff. So when our life, our Christian life, starts to reveal to people that maybe there's an issue that they're dealing with, now, maybe their sin is revealed because of the way we live our life. Maybe the things that we might say. Now, let's qualify this not things that are said in judgment not things that are said in anger, because we will never reach the lost world with judgment and anger. All we will do is build walls between us and them, and they'll have more reasons to hate us. But what we will do is through loving people, we can build bridges, because there's common ground. We're all going through the same experience of life. We're all human. We're all facing the same adversities. We're all having to get up every day and go out and try to survive. And what happens is they're doing it on their own. You know what? We walk with God. So there's something there that should speak to their hearts. But you know what? When sin is revealed, there's one of two reactions. Either people will go, you know what? Hey, man, you're right. And They'll fall under conviction and they'll come to God. Or the other one, they'll get angry and they will pull away from God. Right. How many have experienced that? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Some people you talk to, man, they're like, oh, man, I got ears to hear. And other people are like, you can just shut your mouth. Right? <laughs> they're ready to fight. Interestingly enough. Ephesians chapter 2 continues, verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation. Conversation here is talking about the life that we live. We all had our conversation in times past. What was our conversation? What did our life look like? In the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, this is who we were, children of wrath, even as others. We're just like everybody else. Okay, so we see this, this response from this Canaanite king, and we think about, listen, it's based upon what he's heard about the Gibeonites. I want you to pay attention to the fact that, listen, if we're honest and we looked at ourselves and we put ourselves in that Gibeonite place, or in that, in that Canaanite king's place, I think we can understand. If we think back to who we were prior to Christ, we might be able to understand his perspective. Verse 3 says, In times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. So if you and I can remember back to when we were lost, we can think back to the way we used to think. We might be able to relate to the way that he's thinking in this moment. Listen, this Canaanite king, this, this, this king of Jerusalem, is reacting based upon what he heard. Notice, it says what he heard. He's not reacting to a conversation that he had when he went and talked to the Gibeons face to face, and they said, this is our reasoning, this is what we were doing, this is what we heard, and this is what we've seen, and this has been the reaction that we've received. They didn't get any of that. He'd just been based upon what he heard. And you know what? When I first, got, uh, when I first heard that my sister-in-law, my sister-in-law and I didn't get along great. We weren't super close, right? Like uh, they say, uh, too many chiefs, not enough Indians. We're just like, wow, I'm right, she's right. And we're both kind of just, it's just the way it was. So we didn't get along very well. But what I heard that she had come to the Lord. And I wasn't like, man, that's so so excited to hear that for her. That's just wonderful. First of all, I was like, I don't know what the term saved meant. I didn't know what that meant. I thought she'd been in a fire or something like that. I'm like, don't know what that meant. All I knew was my wife had told me she was going to church. And I was like, well, okay. (laughs) Don't know what that means. right? Whatever. But again, I said, like I said, we weren't weren't close. But when I understood that she was now a church lady, I wasn't like, man, I can't wait to hang out. This is going to be great. No, you know what I started to do? I started, I started judging her. Now, I wasn't raised in church again. I was raised in a completely secular environment. Never went to church my entire life. So all I knew about God was what I'd seen on TV, what I'd heard from my neighbor. It was never very, very positive. It was about a big guy in a chair that had a long beard and a big hammer and all that stuff. That's all I really kind of knew about God. So that's the that's perspective that I had. So understanding that, I didn't, I didn't have a positive attitude towards her. But see, this is cool because my negative attitude didn't impact her willingness to pray for us. And see, that was a thing. Though she and I didn't get along, guess what she did? She loved my soul. She didn't like me as a person. I can understand why. I wasn't a very likable person. (laughs) Certainly not when she and I were together. And as fate would have it, God allowed a crisis to come into our life. And by way of the crisis, my wife started seeking God and as she was seeking God, she reached out to Anne-Marie and said, do you think Tony, her boyfriend at the time, do you think Tony would come to a, uh, and explain the Bible to me because I don't understand what's, what's going on? And he was like, sure. And so they were going to come to the house, and my wife convinced me to listen. I didn't want to listen. And the rest is history. August 11, 2001. Amen. We were on our knees in a rented house. I'm wearing a wife-beater T-shirt and a pair of dirty shorts. And I went down with a dirty heart and stood up with a clean one. Not because I deserved it. Because God extended mercy and grace. And His word was preached. And you know what? And I heard it and it received it. And I understood that I was a sinner. And it humbled me before God. And I called out on the promise that I heard in that word. And that was it. A changed identity. But you know what I found out? (laughs) Was after I got saved... My old friends, the guys I used to drink with and cuss with and all that business, they were not nearly as excited about my salvation as I was. (laughs) They were like, man, it's so great you found God. No. Once the word that got out that old Dave had found religion, guess what? Those relationships started to change. They didn't necessarily want to hang out with me as much as, as before, if they would hang out with me at all. And what was interesting was the fact that these were relationships that I valued. Relationships that I still value to this day that are virtually gone. What was my crime? I changed my loyalty. What was the Gibeonites' crime? They changed their loyalty. They didn't do anything. I didn't do anything to my friends. But I had a burden for their souls. A burden for their souls. And, I, and there's guys that I've been praying for for 21 years. And I still pray every day. Trusting God that he's going to do something through my life, man. If I'm the only bridge they have to the Lord, no matter what they may say, no matter what they may do, it's not my place to judge them. It's not my place to get hurt, my feelings hurt, and go, well, that's it. You know what? You're dead to me. <laughs> no, because it ain't about me. Right? They're lost. What do lost people do? They act like lost people. They don't know any different. Guess what? I have the spirit of God in me. I know different. So I'm held to a higher standard than they are. And guess what God's saying? I want to use your life. To reach them. So, you need to be consistent in your walk with me. 21 years, you've been on course. But you know what? I got another 20 years, perhaps. Maybe there's 20 more years before that friend's ever going to come to Christ. And they're going to watch your life every single day for every single thing that you do. And then we respond through good days and bad days, through adversity. Man, adversity's going to come. It's a part of life. How we face it speaks volumes to this lost world because, again, they don't know any different. And understand, I don't know where I am on my notes, but that's nowhere near where I was. <laughs> uh, and we get, no, so, so, so we hear this, okay? And what does it do? It can make us think, you know what? I don't know if I want that to happen to me. There are people that just get saved, and they're like, you know what? But I mean, all my friends are so dear to me. Great, wonderful, mine were too. But you know what? If your friend, quote friend, is not truly happy For you because of where your heart is to the peace that you found to the relationship with God that is fulfilling your life. If they can't look at that and go, you know what, no matter what they think about God, if they can't be happy for you in that moment, I would challenge you to consider if that person is really your friend. Because there are a lot of people that love to be your friend when you're in the world who don't want anything to do with God. And I'm telling you, this is vital. Don't hate them. Don't argue with them. Don't fight with them. Love them. Pray for them. Be there. Be there for them. The reality of that decision making process that we know that can happen, it'll make us have to come to a point of decision. Will I stand for the Lord and do what's right in spite of the consequence? Or Will I allow my fear of, of, of probable or possible, possibly being ostracized? Will I allow that to make me hide my faith? Right? Jesus spoke about that very concept. When we look in Matthew chapter 5, listen to verses 15 and 16. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. Okay, When we receive the Spirit of God in us, guess what? The light of God now is inside us. We have the Spirit of God. And he says, But on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Listen, no one lights a candle and hides that light. We let that light out so that it makes a difference. Verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. He's saying, listen, the light that's in you, guess what it's for? My glory. It's for my glory. It's not so people think greatly of you. It's so that you get out of the way. And they see me through you. And so what will happen is if we'll do that, can I promise you the word will get out. And our previous allies will hear stories. And you know what? They'll, They'll respond. But listen, if we won't do it, if we allow our fear to keep us quiet and to hide our faith... Then the very light that's supposed to shine into this world goes hidden because we chose. The Bible says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. That means, you know what? Though you might be afraid, I'm challenging you to stand for the truth. Though you may want to be angry, I'm challenging you to forgive. Though you might want to judge, I am, I am challenging you to give Grace. Because nobody likes to feel excluded. Nobody wants to feel ostracized. No one wants to feel left out. But listen, what did God tell us in in 2 Timothy 3.12? Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus, what does it say? Shall suffer persecution. That's the reality. You do the right thing, and guess what? There will come persecution against you. There's persecution going all around this world as as we speak. Now, for most of us in the United States, guess what? That's about as bad as it gets. Maybe a little bit of discomfort. Perhaps a relationship that's rocky or even that comes to an end. But I want to tell you guys a story. When I was back in 2008, I had the blessing to get to go to India to go preach. And uh, while we were there, we, we preached some two or three thousands of people sometimes. And after, one of the, after each time, they would have people that would want to come up and talk to us to get counsel through, our, through the translators. And I was a young girl that was 14 years old. And when she came... Um, I could just see her face. She was just so troubled, you know, and, uh, and my translator is talking to her and stuff and she's, they're talking back and forth and then he turns and says, um, well, she's, she's come to the Lord and, uh, and, and she's, she's a child of God. Um, and, and, and she's, she's renounced the other gods and, uh, and he said, it's awesome. Um, but, but the problem is there's, there's some stuff going on in her, in her life, and he said, you know, her mom and her dad have, have, have completely disowned her. So she's been thrown out to live on the streets. She's lost all the relationships in her village. So everyone she loves has turned their back on her. She's literally living in church members' homes. See, that's, that's persecution, right? That's persecution for, for our faith. And what happened was, see, because in, in Hinduism, I understand what can happen is if you introduce Jesus, what they can do is they'll just go, okay, sounds good. I love Jesus. Sounds great. I'm going to put him right here on the shelf beside the guy with the three heads. He goes right there. And they just put Jesus right there. Perfect. Super. Now i got another guy to pray to. Right? But it's not that. You've got to denounce all those gods that there is one true God. And in doing so, her family, her friends thought she was spitting in their face. Remember what verse number one said? And how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. And that young girl who was considered an enemy by her family, all because she made peace with the Lord. And because she was numbered among the children of God. That was her, her crime. And listen, because of that choice, she went from being a beloved sister and a daughter to an enemy. And we see that this testimony for God, listen, it can alert our old allies. But you would also do, it can alienate old allies. Verse 2 says this, That they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city as one of the royal cities and became as it was greater than Ai, and all the men thereof were mighty. Wherefore, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent unto Hoham, king of Hebron, and unto Piriam, king of Jarmuth, and Japhia, king of Lashish, and unto Debir, king of Eglon, saying, So the first thing we notice here is these inhabitants of Canaan, guess what? They're unified. They're unified in fear. Verse 2 says that they feared greatly because Gibbon was a great city as one of the royal cities because it was greater than Ai and all the men thereof were mighty. So this powerful city that was greater than Ai, listen, now has changed its allegiance. Collectively, they were afraid of Joshua and the Israelites before this ever took place, before Jericho ever fell. If we go all the way back to Joshua chapter number 2, Rahab gave us an insight to the heart of the people in Canaan. Listen to what she says, verses 9 through 11. This is way back. They just crossed the Jordan. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that, you are, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites and were on the other side of the Jordan, Sahon and Og, and whom he utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Rahab's reaction was exactly like the Gibeonites. You know what she chose to do? Surrender. She submitted herself to God. And listen, these men, these fellow, their fellow Canaanites are choosing a different path. These kings are saying, you know what? We will not surrender. We will take a path of rebellion. And let's take note of what God's picturing for us here. We see two groups of people. One submitted to God's authority. The other rebelling against God's authority. Matthew 7, Jesus says this, Enter ye into the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So one of these groups, the smaller one, the much smaller one, is going to choose life. And the majority of the group, most of Canaan, guess what they're going to choose? Destruction. And you see, the numbers always work out this way. When you look in biblical history, what do we see? Remember Noah? Noah and the flood? The entire planet was wiped out. Only Noah and his family survived. How about the children of Israel when they entered into the wilderness? Out of the men over the age of 20 years old, there were five, was it six six hundred and three thousand five hundred and fifty men over the age of twenty that entered the wilderness? Of that entire group, six hundred and three thousand five hundred and forty-eight of them died. Two made it in, Joshua and Caleb, a smaller group. And what we see here in Canaan is the vast majority will choose destruction as well, being fueled by fear. That's done nothing but increase over time. Because remember, the stories have been spreading. They were afraid already. Rahab told us that. So they were afraid of the exodus out of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, then Sahon and Og, then Jericho falls, then Ai falls, and now the great city that they all look up to, Gibeon, has rolled over, and now they're a part of that group. Oh my word, we're in trouble. So now the Israelite force is more powerful and more intimidating than they've ever been. They're a threat to them. A threat to their lives, to their religious beliefs, to their authority, to their sexual practices, and to their traditions. And you know what? They will fight tooth and nail. They are dead set on making sure that they will not lose their authority. And the majority of the people in the world today, guess what? They have the exact same attitude. I will not lose my authority. So when you and I, as become children of God, and we join His family, and we give up, our lives, our religious beliefs, our authority, our sexual practices, and our traditions. We change them. We change our allegiances. What happens, man? Why do we do it? Because we truly know God. We see that those things, those things that we used to hold on to, they were the very pathway to our own destruction. Destruction. And instead of being filled with fear of what we would lose by coming to God, we're filled with hope. We're filled with hope because of our relationship with Christ. And can I tell you this? That your new life that's got hope in it is going to alienate the people from your past. It's going to alienate people that don't know God. Because can I tell you, they're not accustomed to hope. Right. Yeah, that's right. It's not a part of their life. They're very accustomed to fear, though. Yeah. It rules their life. It's what everything's based upon. And so what happens here? They're threatened because of the existence of these people. And see, when someone's threatened, they have one or two reactions. We've all heard it's like fight or flight, right? Well, the Canaanites are fighters. They're going to dig their heels in, which brings us to our last point, is that it angers old allies. Number verse four, come up unto me and help me that we may smite Gibeon, for it hath made peace with Joshua and with the children of of Israel, And so, the response of hearing that the great city of Gibeon has fallen and has joined the Israelites, their response to that is, we've got to destroy them. That's our only option. These Canaanites, listen, they're not prepared to give up their authority. They're not prepared to give up their kingdoms. Listen, which were never theirs in the first place, by the way. Back in Genesis chapter number 12, the land that they're in was given to Abram and all of his descendants, Abraham, the Israelites that are there. It's their land. God gave it to them there. But you know what? They're not willing to give it up. They recognize that and they, hey, listen, they're going to fight to the end to hold on to it. And they're going to be unified by their desire to face this threat so that they don't lose their ownership. But you know what? Ownership is an illusion for everybody. All of us. None of the stuff on this earth is ours. Nothing. Not even our own lives. Because recognize what? Before Abraham, God owned it. God created it. The Bible tells us in Psalm 24 1 it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, notice this, and they that dwell therein. It's all His, even us. Hebrews 3 4 says, For every house is builded by some man. But he that buildeth all things is God. Amen. Genesis 14, 19. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God. And what about God? He's the possessor of heaven and earth. Amen. And you know what? The delusion of ownership and control that possess these Canaanite kings, boy, oh boy, let me tell you, it is alive and well in our world today. Is it not? Oh my goodness. Where people in our day and age will boldly claim their right to do what they want, when they want, with whomever they want. I answer to no one. They say they are their own authority and they will stand accountable to no one. Now, that might make a really cool slogan on a (laughs) t-shirt. Right? That might be a really awesome tattoo on your shoulder surrounded by skulls or a really amazing bumper sticker on the back of your car with, with all kinds of rainbows all around it. But can I tell you, that mindset, no matter who they are, no matter where they come from, no matter what they think of God, there is an accountability that is that is coming. And that belief is going to reveal revealed to be a tragic lie. Not because God hates humanity, but because He loves them. And it's our sin that is the very thing that's destroying humanity. Because listen, no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, we will stand accountable to God, and He will judge us based upon His authority, That's right. which is over the entire earth and over every single person. Now, either as a believer at the judgment seat of Christ, because listen, we will stand as believers. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So as born-again children of God, listen, we're going to stand accountable to God, not for our sins, because our sins were judged on Calvary. That's done. But we will stand accountable for the Christian life that we live and the way that our life gives God glory. But then there's another judgment. It's called the great white throne judgment. Now, this is for unbelievers, and this is all about judging sin. Every last one of them. You realize that you're going to be judged even down to the words spoken? Every single word spoken? Jesus clears this up for us in John in Matthew 12, 36. This is the Lord speaking. He says, but I say unto you, listen, understand this, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Yeah. Wow. Every last thing. So sin most definitely will be judged from the deepest, most hidden sin to the most egregious, flagrant that we can possibly have done. Revelations 20 verses 11 through 15 says this, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Listen, the rich, the wealthy, the poor man, the king, everybody stands before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those books, which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead, which were in it. Everything from the ocean, every dead body that's ever been in there, all come up. And death and hell delivered up the dead. All those bodies that are in the earth, and those that are in hell, all of them brought up, which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Mm-hmm. That's a horrific truth, but it's a truth. It is the reality of what is, is, is to come for the future of this world. Yeah. People can give to God. They can surrender their hearts to Him and be set free from that. Or they can face that judgment. Mm-hmm. It comes down to this. Will we submit to God or will we rebel against Him? If we rebel against him, we say, you know what? I will pay the penalty myself. I got this, God. Or we submit and say, Lord, you know what? I can't do this. I don't want to do this. I love you, and I want you to love me. And God says, you know, I already loved you your whole life. When you were in the midst of sin, I loved you. And guess what? I already died on the cross with you in mind. Just receive the gift. Just receive it, and it'll be yours. How incredible is that? This amazing, amazing God. And these judgments. Understand. They're they're eternal. One's for eternal blessings and eternal rewards. But the other one is for eternal destruction and eternal damnation. And right now, these Canaanite kings, listen, they're not considering bowing down and surrender. They're not willing to bow down before God and embrace the Gibeonites' new loyalty to God. No, no. Their whole focus now is that we've got to destroy the Gibeonites. Verse 4 says, and he says, that we may smite Gibeon for it hath made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. You see, the Gibeonites represent a threat, a threat to their kingdoms, which just happen to be kingdoms of darkness, by the way. Right? That's what I want us to be. Man, get a, wear this. Be bold for the glory of God. Man, we, our, our job is to be a light in the, midst of the darkness. And we're in a dark, dark world. And when you and I boldly live for our faith and we reflect Christ, many times, man, I'm telling you, those people who we used to call our friends will not come across like our friends. Our family might even turn their backs on us and see us as a threat. And you remember that, that girl I told you about? I didn't tell you her whole story. See, the last part of her story is different. Because as she was telling us what was going on in her world, she said for the last three months, my dad and my brother have been hunting me. And I leave from one house to another, to another, to another, just to stay ahead of them. And they're not going to go to bring her home. It's not to have a conversation with her. They're going to behead her. See, that's persecution. In our country, we don't know anything about that. But can I tell you... As times progress, I believe that's going to change. It's going to get harder and harder. And this girl's crime that was worthy of death in her father's eyes was that she made peace with God. It's the same crime as the Gibeonites. All they did was make peace with God. Jesus told us how the world would respond to our faith. John 15, 19. If you're over the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hateth you. And you know what she told me that day? She said, if they catch me. I'm ready to die for my Savior. 14 year old girl, a kid, she's willing to give her life for her faith. And see, the question for us is what are we willing to suffer for our faith? What are we willing to suffer? What hardships are we willing to endure? What will it take to make us quit? Galatians 6.9, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Can I promise you, the devil wants you to quit. He wants you to give up. Not because you've done anything wrong, it's because you're doing something right. When you're off course and you're not walking with God, guess what? He does not care because you're not a threat. But when you start to set your heart and you say, you know, I'm really going to determine myself to do the right thing. I'm going to try to get on track. I'm going to do the right thing. I want to be a light in this world. He's going to do all that he can to stop you. So supposed to being deterred by what faces us, we have to be determined by what we face. Amen. Saying, I will not change. I will not divert. I will not give up. I stand on the truth and I will not change. Amen. And if it comes down to a day of persecution where they want to take our lives, we've got to be willing to say, okay, take it. I want to stand before the Lord knowing that I gave my all. And we all are going to have that chance. Because remember, that judgment seat of Christ, it's going to be how we live this life. And if we leave this place and we've got to be martyred because we stood up for Christ, praise God. But if you decided to give up and hide your faith and turn away and you're, like, I give up on God, I'm just going to go. go into the world, you've got to answer for that too. I'm not here to beat you guys up. I mean, I'm telling you, God's beating me up. And we're in a spiritual war. And if you're facing adversity right now, don't even consider giving up. Just see it for what it is. An opposition to you trying to do the right thing. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We're victorious. Just don't quit. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for what you show us time and time and time again. The truth, God, that we so desperately need to understand. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Right now, I know there are, I know stories of people right now that are going through it, God. They are going through the ringer. Old allies, perhaps turned against them. Family members, spouses, children, neighbors, coworkers, strangers, God, even. But Lord, I pray that you'd fortify them in your word. God, I pray that you'd support them in their desire to do the right thing. As the spirit draws them, Lord, to want to stand for you, I pray that you'd fortify them in doing so. Help us to be determined, Father, to be those children of God that you've called us to be. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that you would lift them up, that God you'd support, strengthen them, and Lord, that you would fight those battles. And our next message that'll come from this series today was from peace to persecution. Our next message is going to be from persecution to peace. God, we're going to see what you do when adversity comes. God, thank you, thank you, thank you for being a faithful God that loves us in the midst of our struggles. And Lord, when we fail, you will pick us back up. So Lord, for whoever's here today, if they're standing strong, God, fortify them. If they've fallen, God, stand them back up. If they've turned and they've run, God, draw them back. And Lord, for those today that maybe don't know you, that are maybe here and they say, I don't don't even know where I stand with God. I understand that. 21 years ago when they asked me if I died today, if I knew for sure I'd go to heaven, I said, I hope so. I didn't know. But as God's calling out to you, all you have to do is respond. It's just nothing more than a place of surrender. He's done all the work. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. You're a sinner just like I was. Listen, we're broken. We're in need of a Savior, and He's willing to save, to save us. He paid the price for our sin debt. And right now, He calls out to you individually, and He's drawing you to Him. If you're watching this recorded, man, He's calling you. That draw you feel in your heart is nothing more than you willing a willingness to surrender is all God's calling you to do. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your savior, if you've never truly received him, maybe you've got a religious experience, but you've never given him your heart. This is your chance. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me. It's not the words that'll save you. Again, it's not the, 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 the a ceremony or a prayer. It's your heart. God's listening to in your heart and mind. You can repeat after me, dear Lord. I know that I'm a sinner and I'm so Sorry for my sin. I'm asking you right now, God, to forgive me of my sin. Lord, that you would receive me as your child. God, that you would pay my sin debt. Lord, I come to you with a repentant heart, turning from my old ways that I might live for you. Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for restoring me. I give you my life. I look forward to seeing you one day in glory. And I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.